Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema this is the kickoff show to our the twilight zone tv series uh, so we're just going to give a little bit of information about the twilight zone tv series and a little bit about rod sterling in this episode so to prepare yourself for what's to come um prepare yourself it twilight zone ran from 1959 to 1964 uh so five years and then came back in 2019 <laughs> right, right but not by rod sterling this of was course, created yeah. by rod sterling who narrated all 156 episodes yep and that's something you always look forward to because they give a little clip and then he's standing there on the set you know yep. and he's like what you're about to see you know and it goes into great something. voice wow fantastic fantastic voice um this this won several awards which we'll get to i didn't want to just throw them all out here at the beginning, but I figured by the, if we go episode by episode, if they've won something for it, then we'll, yeah. we'll throw it in there. Um, so I think IMDb has the best sounding synopsis I've ever heard for The Twilight Zone. Get the load of this. It said, The uh, ordinary people find themselves in extraordinarily astounding situations which they each try to solve in a remarkable manner. I was like, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Yeah. Um, Rod Sterling actually wanted Richard Egan to do narration because of his rich, deep voice. However, due to strict studio contracts of the time, Egan was unable to. Sterling said, it's Richard Egan or no one. It's Richard Egan or I'll do the thing myself, which he did himself. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. Um, he, he, he was uh, true to his word. The, Rod Sterling actually made up the phrase the sixth dimension to use in season one's opening narration. William Self of CBS asked him, what was the fifth dimension, given that dimensions one through three are <laughs> exemplified by a line, a plane, and a cube, respectively, and the fourth is time. 
Sterling answered, I don't know. Aren't there five? <laughs> he then changed the narration <laughs> to, there was a fifth dimension. Because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he thought, for as smart as he was, he That's was great. like, well, he skipped the whole dimension. Uh, he had come up with the term The Twilight Zone uh, on his own. He liked the sound of it. But after the show there, he found out that it is an actual term used by U.S. Air Force pilots when crossing the day and night sides above the world. Um, Rod Sterling invited viewers to submit scripts. He was flooded with over 14,000 scripts. Oh, wow. And he actually got around to reading 500 of them. However, only two were any good, and he couldn't use them because <laughs> they didn't fit the format of the show. Oh, Can you imagine? No. 14,000? I'm, I'm sure they, it could have been like reformatted to work, though. Yeah. Um, almost all of the men in season one introduced by Rod Sterling's opening narration were described as being 36 years old. <laughs> I thought that was their wife, 36. That yeah. means that like midlife. Um uh, He's ranked uh, number one in TV Guide's list of the 25 greatest sci-fi legends. I mean, I have to agree. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe Alfred Hitchcock can be up there, but he, is he really sci-fi? You know what I mean? He's, yeah, yeah, no, that's he, no, definitely not sci-fi. Um, yeah, yeah. Due to budgetary concerns for when they started filming season two, they decided to cut costs by shooting some episodes on videotape rather than film. Wow, okay. Yeah, uh, because videotape was a relatively primitive medium in the early 1960s. The editing of the tape was next to impossible. Thus, each of the six episodes was camera cut as in live television on a studio soundstage using a total of four cameras. The requisite multi-camera setup of the videotape experiment pretty much precluded location shooting, several limiting the potential, uh, severely limiting the potential scope of the storylines, and so the short-lived experiment was ultimately abandoned. The limitations using videotape um, led the network to switch back to film for the rest of the series, despite the greater cost. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to know what the six videotaped episodes were titled, um, so if you want to look them up on Netflix, uh, The Twilight Zone, The Lateness of the Hour from 1960, The Twilight Zone, Static, uh, The Whole Truth, The Night of the Meek, uh, 22, and Long Distance Calls. So... I'd kind of like to see that to see the, you know... That we'll probably mention again when we get to those. Uh, the Dummy from 1962 is routinely voted the scariest series episode by critics. Hmm. Which we'll get to all these, you know. I'm not going yeah. There's a lot of stuff here I could I could talk about, but... Um, let's see here. Uh, Rod Sterling was often seen seen with a cigarette during the introduction. He always seemed yeah, standing there, you know true. what I mean? Uh, one of the show's sponsors was uh, Liga and Myers Tobacco Company. And Sterling served as an on-screen spokesman for their product, Chesterfield Cigarettes. During his tune-in next week spot at the end of each episode, the American Tobacco Company, a later sponsor, insisted that he always be seen with a cigarette, um, although Sterling refused to plug their brand, Paul Mall, on screen. Oh, well, all right. That's... So we got a little bit of, you know. Um, so let me let me ask you this. What do you think are the top ten most terrifying episodes of The Twilight Zone of the original? Let's see if you can get any of these. I probably won't get into them because I don't. I don't even know any of the titles. Well, I mean, but if you could tell me anything about an episode that's a famous yeah. one, um, I mostly remember just like the first half of season one. Pat's got one. Pat, what is it? Yeah, just ahead. where the uh, everybody's thumbs get cut off, and you just see it looks like kind of like the attack of the uh, killer thumbs, where you just see a bunch of thumbs running around. Oh, jeez. Um, I don't believe that is on here. Um. Uh, one of them is you'll you'll know this one. William Shatner played a nightmare at twenty thousand feet. 
where he looks out the window and that sees that thing on the plane wing oh, ripping, the, yeah, ripping the stuff off. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, that's that's one of the top ones. Um, Eye of the Beholder is another one. And um, I want to say, is that the one where the lady wakes up in the hospital with the thing wrapped around her head and she's like, Doctor, can you fix me? And they're all like, well, we did the best we could. And they take off the bandages and all the doctors and nurses have pig faces or whatever. And she's like a human being. They're like, we're sorry. It's just so disastrous. She's like a beautiful lady. <laughs> um, there's a couple other ones on here. So is, that, is the one where the dude's the last dude on earth? No. Nope. In there? No. All right. No. But we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, of, all, of all the odd episodes, Ruth Serling wrote 92 altogether. So wow, he not only I mean he produced it. Uh, there have been three different spinoffs so far of this. Um, let's see, okay, now we're gonna talk a little bit about Rod Sterling's life. Terrence, don't fall asleep. Are you willing to turn to the seventeenth dimension? <laughs> uh, he was born December twenty fifth, nineteen twenty four, in Syracuse, New York. He died June twenty eighth, nineteen seventy five, in Rochester, New York. Complication arising from coronary bypass operation. Oh man. His birth name was Rod Rodman Edward Serling. He was only five foot four. Um, something that I thought was really good. He was a former boxer, a paratrooper, and general all-around angry young man. <laughs> I was like, wow. uh, he was one of the radical new voices of the golden age of television. Long before the Twilight Zone, he was known for writing such high-quality scripts as Patterns and Requiem for a Heavyweight. Both later turned into films. Um, hmm. Even the Twilight Zone featured forays into controversial grounds like racism, Cold War paranoia, and the horrors of war. His maverick attitude eventually drove him from regular network television. Especially that last one. They 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 touched on sort of the, the horrors of war, like, you know, the A lot. Multiple like Vietnam, times. Not, yeah. Multiple times. Um I racism was multiple times too. Uh th- yeah, there's definitely a handful of I guess I, n- I never even thought about it from that perspective of like, wow, uh, you know, there would be episodes that would hit on things like that. And, uh, you know, back then that's pretty progressive. Right. Um, some of his trademarks is uh, he was uh, had that distinctive dramatic voice. Oh, yeah. Um, he always wore a suit and tie when presenting his shows. Absolutely. Um, for sci-fi and fantasy storylines. Um, his frequent and effective use of twist plot endings. And this happens almost every episode of the Twilight Zone, which we're going to talk about. Um, they also, ref- uh, his stories often reflected his liberal political views. Um, he had a distinct clip manner of speaking. You often see holding a cigarette in his short stature. He is uh, served in the United States Army under the service number 32-738-306 from January 43 to January 1946. Discharged in the rank of technician, fifth grade, the equivalent of a corporal, having served as an infantry combat demolition specialist and a paratrooper. So that's pretty cool. Right. Uh, he he also suffered from combat-related flashbacks and insomnia. Uh, he was born into a reformed Jewish family. He later became a Unitarian upon his marriage in 1948. Was a communications professor at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. Oh wow! So this guy he's done he, a lot he, of stuff, man. Yeah, he definitely lived uh, a very um, that's what I'm looking for. I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, a very eventful life. We'll yeah. go with that. His influence included H.G. Wells, Norman Corwin, Ernest Hemingway, Edgar Allan Poe, Edwin R. Murrow, and H.P. Lovecraft. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, he was an uh, outspoken opponent of the Vietnam War. Uh, his school teacher Helen Foley encouraged him in his writing, and he always believed he owed her success or his success to her. A school teacher in Twilight Zone, the movie in 1903, was named Helen Foley in her honor. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Uh, although with many other family, famous faces, he was a pie-in-the-face recipient on the Soupy Cell Show in 1953. Sterling's turn came in 1962. So, uh, let's see. Towards the end of his career, he narrated several documentaries about sharks and other underwater life that were a great deal at time in schools. He started writing during World War II while recuperating from his injuries. Oh, wow. So he was a World War II vet, it sounds like. Um, he was the first major writer to have disputes with advertisers and executives. So this guy's just... Yeah, it sounded like um, he was very political and was very open about it. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, was friends with Star Trek, the original series creator Gene Rodberry, who had the honor of reading the eulogy at Serling's funeral. Hmm. Uh, he was inducted into the Television Academy Hall of Fame in 1985 and Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame in 2008. He was posthumously awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at 6840 Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California on October 6, 1988. Um, so if you're out there, go visit his star. Yeah, send a picture to the Facebook group. Uh, he usually dictated his scripts into a tape recorder and had his secretary type them up. Hmm. I mean, that's something you don't see a lot these days is the old tape recorder. Oh, yeah. Uh... He often smoked more than five packs of cigarettes a day. Wow. So this guy was just a chain smoker. (laughs) Running through him. Yeah. (laughs) Even when he's on set, couldn't even put it down. (laughs) Um, So uh, he grew to hate his time while working on the Night Gallery TV show. Once uh, producer Jack uh, Lard was granted total control of the show's creative input. So um, um, we're going to talk about some of his personal quotes now. Uh, if you need drugs to be a good writer, you're not a good writer. I was yeah. like, wow, that's pretty interesting. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I want, I want to touch on that for just a moment. Uh, and it, it's, it's on topic, but it's also just only slightly deviating it. It, it almost kind of, uh, I, I've heard it as a joke, but I, I always, it's, it's something that I think it should be taken more seriously. And that, you know, obviously that's, that's addiction to things. Um, but someone will always be like, oh man, this person was a way better artist or a way better writer or a way better singer when they were on drugs. And I'm like, don't take that away from them. You know what I mean? Like they worked hard. They got rehabilitated. They're finally away from a a very toxic thing. Yeah. But Uh, sometimes it goes the other way too. Like, um, like Kurt Cobain. That's true. You see what I mean? So you can't, you can have the argument all you want, but you go the other way and it ultimately ended his life from the addiction. Yeah. Um, you see what I'm saying, though? So I understand what you're saying. Like, hey, they may have been a better, you know, they may have um, well, I'm just wrote that for... song, wrote that script under the influence of a substance, but don't take that away from them because the substance that they produced was good. I, I mean, that's not to take away from the work that they did. Honestly. Right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying for someone to, like, listen to, like, a, a recent work, but, like, they'll come out with, you know, something great, and then they'll come out with something else. And then the go and be like, ah, like they should go back to doing drugs because they were making way better music when they were. Right. I, I think it's, it's. I see where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what I mean. Like it's always it's a it's a terrible comment that I always hate hearing. Um, but no, it's 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 cool to hear that. Uh, you know, when people get to break those addictions. Right. Hey, and and I just it just dawned on me that he was actually born on Christmas Day. Really? Yeah, in 1924. He's like, I was a Christmas present that was delivered unwrapped. <laughs> I was like, well, That's hilarious. Hollywood's a great place to live if you're a grapefruit. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, statement. That's funny. He said, being like everybody is the same as being nobody. 
This guy, man. That okay. I like that statement. That's that's good. Yeah, um, writing is a demanding profession and a selfish one. And because it is selfish and demanding, because it is compulsive and exacting, I didn't embrace it. I succumbed to it. Hmm. Um, man, there's just he's just had so many things. Like uh, he says, says uh, I've had my moments of depression, but I guess you'd say I'm pretty contented guy. Hmm. Uh, fame is short-lived. One year after the show, The Twilight Zone goes off the air. They'll never remember who I am, and I don't care a bit. A nominee is fine with me. My place is as a writer, which I have to disagree because here we are still talking about you. Exactly. 40 years later, <laughs> 60 years later, whatever it is. And this, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, and this is, this is something that's funny, but I, I want to throw it in here. From a congratulatory letter to Playboy for publishing a noxious <laughs> interview with neo-Nazi George Lincoln Rockwell 1964. 11 years of national genocide and 10 million lives later, we have learned to realize that even the most sophisticated society can still fall prey to an invasion of monsters. It is not public exposure that helps these perverts, uh, perverters of human dignity. Rather, it is apathy. Laughter and derision might momentarily embarrass them, but in the long run, prove no deterrence whatsoever. What is desperately needed to combat any ism is precisely what Playboy has done, an interview in-depth that shows us the facets of the enemy. You should be given accommodation for a public service of infinite value. So there you have it. So that's just a little quick introduction to the TV show and a little bit of Rod Serling's life uh, to see where yeah. he was coming from. He was very, you know, against the wars. He, he had served in the Army. You know, he was a writer, college professor, but just an all-around interesting guy, I think. Oh, yeah. So, uh, stay tuned. We're getting ready to kick off the Twilight Zone Season 1, Episode 1 next. Uh, that being said, we're going to wrap up this early edition of the Total Twilight Zone series. And that's a wrap. And, and cut. cut. <laughs>